Thank you, Brother Holmes. Praise the Lord, everybody. Certainly is a privilege and a thrill to be here at camp meeting once again. And already we have been richly blessed and rewarded for being here. We have felt and received and enjoyed in the services so far. I feel like Brother King last night, if I can just get this next little part over with, I will certainly be able to enjoy it a lot more. But from the opening night, Brother Morgan preached a very challenging message on holy rebellion. The Bible said that rebellion is bound in the heart of a child, and the rod drives it away. Maybe in some regards we need to just rechannel that to rebelling against this world and its influences and living for God. Yesterday morning we took the time to honor a great man of God that is among us, Brother Burr, and I think it is entirely appropriate to do so. The world honors its heroes and its men of renown, and I think that Pentecost should do the same. We have some unique and excellent examples that are still walking among us. And what's the point in just reminiscing about them when they're gone? I think we ought to give them tribute while they're still able to receive it. I don't think there was a person here in the service last night that was not tremendously affected by the preaching of the Word of God that we heard. I think I can safely say without any reservation at all, Brother King, that you made a difference. You made a difference in my life and everybody's lives here last night. And I'm going to have to work on that for a good while. I think sometimes because we kneel for a few moments after a message is ended that we think we have done our duty. I think the Lord gave us an assignment last night we're going to have to work on for some time. I know I am. And I'm looking forward to all of these other men that will be preaching in this meeting. Thank you, Brother Holmes, so much again for the invitation not only to come but to minister at this conference. I'm very aware of my intimidating surroundings. One thing, this building is very intimidating. And uh, this great assembly of people that is in front of me is very intimidating and I want to say it's a beautiful crowd for a day service and then the ministry that is here is intimidating in the sense that not that we are in competition with each other or because that they would put any undue pressure but because of the caliber that they are I am very aware of their presence. And of course, we all have to answer to an awesome God this morning. And I want to do what I can to please Him in this service. I have a message that I feel the Lord has laid on my heart that came to this meeting with actually something else in the back of my mind. And since I've been here, the Lord has turned me 
feel in this direction. Brother Roger Craig is here from Ohio. I was at his place a few months ago. And while I was on my way there flying to preach at his church, I took my Bible out on the airplane and wrote some things down and preached that evening and uh, worked on this a little bit at my home church, but I will uh, try to deliver it to you here today. If you'll turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 25. say that it's a delight also to have my beautiful wife here with me today. She does not get to travel with me very much, and I'm so thankful that the Lord made a way for her to be here, and two of my fallen angels, Michael and Angelo. Amen. Somebody say praise the Lord. I've got all these eyes looking up at me and kind of frightening here today. Don't know if you're completely woke up yet or not. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Let's just lift our hands and wave them at Him one more time here today. Jesus, God, we need You. We praise You. We're nothing without You. Totally helpless and impotent without You. We need Your divine assistance, Your intervention today. God, would You help us Jesus, would you guide my lips, my mind, my heart today. Use me as an instrument in your hands, a spokesman. Oh God, have your way this morning. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Amen. Exodus chapter 25, reading beginning with verse 1. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering. Of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take of them, gold and silver and brass, and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skins dyed red and badger skins and shittim wood oil for the light, spices for anointing oil, and for sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. Goes on to give him instructions concerning the uh, making of several of the instruments of the tabernacle, and then in the 40th verse, and look that thou make them after their pattern which was showed thee in the mount. I simply want to speak to you this morning for a little bit about the pattern. The pattern. God bless you. You may be seated. The word pattern is defined as an ordinary sequence consisting of a number of repeated or complementary elements. It is a style or design, a model from which a copy can be made, a model to be followed as a standard of excellence, a model from which a mold is cast, 
a sample showing design, color, shape, etc. Virtually everything that we see around us was derived from a pattern of some type or another. The clothes that we are wearing were not simply constructed from the mind, but they were made from patterns. Ladies go to stores and they buy dress patterns and they sew things from them. And if they will follow the pattern, they have every reason to believe that the end result will very closely resemble the picture that is shown on the front or on the jacket of the pattern. The pattern will ensure that everything that is made from it will have similarity, continuity. Automobiles that we drive, it is a process involving someone coming up with uh, an idea and then somebody adding their creative touches and from this models and prototypes are made. They experiment with various designs and then finally they set on the one that they want and from that molds are cast and metal is pressed and uh, then they can put it all on the assembly line and everyone that runs down that line ends up looking pretty closely like the other one because it follows a pattern. Amen. Hope you'll bear with me here a little bit this morning. This awesome building that we are in, can you imagine this building being constructed without a blueprint? No doubt there were many hands involved in the building of this edifice. Many different skills and abilities went in together. Uh, concrete finishers and carpenters and plumbers and electricians and sheetrock finishers and painters and carpet layers and uh, no doubt for a, a period of a number of months a beehive of activity hundreds of people involved in the project but before anything was started a relatively small number of people got together including I'm sure Pastor Holmes and came up with an idea, a design, an image. And from that, artists and draftsmen began to fashion a blueprint so that all the men that would work on it later would not have to improvise or make it up as they went along. They had only to follow the blueprint. If they follow the blueprint, then the end result, I'm sure, looks very closely like what the artist's conception was at the beginning, drawn from the pattern, the blueprint. Amen. And uh, it takes a lot of the guesswork out. It takes a lot of the uh, wondering, what are we going to do next? All you have to do is follow the pattern. And from that you can be relatively assured that everything is going to turn out all right. A pattern is essential.
to the design, implementation, and duplication of the end product. Amen. Someone has to envision. Someone has to conceptualize. And someone has to establish a pattern. I want you to know this morning that when it comes to the kingdom of God, we are not involved in something that was thrown together with scraps and pieces and bits left over from various different projects and improvised and put into uh, the ultimate construction. What we are in today is not the result of something that is random or improvised. There is a master plan, a master design that is involved. God envisioned all this a long time ago, before the foundations of the world were ever set. God already knew the end from the beginning. He had a picture in his mind of what he wanted it to look like. And from that picture, he established a pattern. It is not left up to us, amen, to alter it, to modify it, or to change it as we go. It is only up to us to find out what the pattern is and then follow it implicitly and explicitly. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He didn't just work on it as he went along and change and modify. And I understand that the heiress of the Winchester fortune uh, many years ago, the man that uh, designed the Winchester rifle that I think his granddaughter or one of his descendants began to build a house. She was an eccentric type person. And she began to build a house and she had no design. She had no blueprint. I think she lived in the house for several decades and as long as she was in it, there were men working on the house. There was no purpose in mind. There was no design. There was no rhyme or reason to anything that was done. She would simply get up in the morning and decide, I want a staircase here. So they would begin to build a staircase. There are staircases that lead to nowhere. There are doors that when they are open will reveal a solid wall. There is absolutely no pattern involved whatsoever. There is a lot of wasted effort, a lot of construction that has no useful purpose, no utility whatsoever. I want you to know that God does not function that way. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14 and 33 that God is not the author of confusion. He has taken great care to establish His kingdom exactly the way that He wanted it from the beginning. It has not been a matter of him simply changing and improvising it as, as he went along, but a matter of gradually unfolding that plan. The Bible says in the book of uh, Isaiah chapter 28 that it has been precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. But I want you to know a long time ago, God knew where we would be at this precept precise moment and it has a plan and a purpose in it all hallelujah praise God I read to you a few verses concerning God's instructions to Moses about the building of the tabernacle amen I, I, I don't understand how 
that modern day religion cannot grasp the design and the plan that God has in mind. Amen. They have come up with all the wrong answers. They're just making it up as they go. They cannot envision the pattern that God had so long time ago. Amen. But God has given us some ways that we can know how He wants it to be. The tabernacle plan was not merely just something to get them by in the wilderness. It was the establishment of a pattern of worship and of service to God. And He gave to Moses the exact specifications and the exact design concerning the building of the tabernacle. The materials that would be involved, the tapestries, the fabrics, the furnishings, their design of the furniture as well as the placement of it. It was not left up to Moses to decide where he wanted the brazen labor. It was not left up to Moses to decide where the golden candlesticks should be. God said, you put it here and you put it there. I want you to know if you want to learn how to approach God, look at the tabernacle. It will give you a pattern. It will give you a plan. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord, help me here today. I want you to know that before you ever proceed in your relationship with God, you've got to stop at a brazen altar somewhere. There's got to be the offering of sacrifice. There's got to be the shedding of blood. There's got to be the humbling of yourself. There's got to be self-abasement. You can't even enter into the tabernacle until you stop at the brazen altar. Until you pass by the brazen laver and wash and make yourself clean. Before you can appreciate the shoe bread, before you can bask in the glow of the Spirit of God as represented by the golden candlesticks, before you can stop at the altar of incense, you've got to offer sacrifice and you must wash. Let me tell you something. We're getting the cart before the horse. We're getting it all backward. We want to enter straight into the house of God and go straight to the altar of incense and offer up worship without praying, without consecrating, without coming clean, without advanced preparation. God is not obligated to accept such sacrifice. It is no wonder that when the Word of God is preached, people are offended by it. They can't take it right and they can't interpret it right because they have never prayed. They have never spent one moment preparing their hearts and their minds. I want you to know God has a pattern. You know what modern day charismatic movement is trying to do? They're trying to usher you straight from the street into the Holy of Holies without passing any of those things. They just want to feel the Spirit. They just want to enjoy the presence of God. Amen. Without coming clean. Without humbling themselves before God. That's why churches are full of makeup and jewelry and immodest attire. Amen. And worldliness and sensuality and carnality. Because men are not following the pattern.
Amen. There is a pattern. There is a pattern. Many years later, after their journeyings were over, and the kingdom of Israel was established, and David was king, he began to feel a desire to build a house for the Lord. Amen. He looked around and saw that he had a palace to live in. There were other beautiful buildings for various purposes. But God, amen, His presence, His ark was still dwelling in a tent. So He determined to build a beautiful temple for the Lord. God would not allow Him to do it because the Bible said He was a man of war and He had shed blood. And yet God promised Him that He would allow His Son to build it. And so David was content with that. Perhaps a little disappointed that he could not do the project himself. But in absence of being able to build it, he could at least gather the materials together. And so he spent the remaining days of his life accumulating the materials and having everything in place. Amen. Read, Brother Mead, in First Chronicles 28. What does the Bible say? Then David gave to Solomon his son. He gave to Solomon his son. The pattern of the porch. The pattern of the porch. Of the houses thereof. The houses thereof. Of the treasuries thereof. Treasuries thereof. Of the upper chambers thereof. Mm -hmm. Yes. And of the inner parlors thereof. All right. And of the place of the mercy seat. Yes. And the pattern. Uh-huh. Of all that he had by the Spirit. All right. Of the courts of the house of the Lord. Amen. Did and you of hear? all the chambers. Did you hear what it said? The pattern of all that he had by the Spirit. It was not left up to David either to build it just any old way. If there was going to be a transference from the old tabernacle of the wilderness to a stationary temple... God was going to be involved in it. It was God that gave to David by divine inspiration the pattern of how the temple would be constructed. To make a long story short, when he handed it over to Solomon, he already had the materials, he already had the resources, and he already had the blueprint. All Solomon had to do was build it. We call it Solomon's temple, but in essence, it was David's temple. If we want to be even more specific, it was neither David's nor Solomon's temple. It was God's temple. It was all handed to Solomon. Read in the 19th verse, Brother Mead. All this said David. All this said David. The Lord made me understand in the, writing. The Lord made me understand. Read. In writing, yes, by his hand upon me, by his hand upon me, even all the works, all of this the pattern. works of this what pattern of this pattern, hallelujah. The design and the materials were already provided, all Solomon had to do was implement them. I don't know how you feel this morning, but I am so thankful that there are many things that I don't have to decide that I don't have to figure out, that I don't have to debate. They were handed to me when I first came into this project. 
the pattern was already established the blueprint was already there the materials were already designated all I had to figure out was where am I going to work amen but everything was already in place I didn't have to figure out how baptism should be I didn't have to figure out whether holiness is essential I didn't have to figure out how to implement the plan of God in 1997 the blueprint the pattern has already been handed it has already been designated by inspiration of the Holy Ghost I don't mind telling you I have a controversy with this cocky arrogant young generation that thinks they can come along in the 90s and change everything that was established hundreds of years ago it's not left up to us to modify and improvise and change we are simply to build according to the pattern I'm embarrassed by those who snicker behind the hands when they talk about Amen. Some of the uh, ministers of days gone by, their methods were crude. Amen. They weren't always real refined and dignified. They didn't always have a whole lot of razzle-dazzle. Amen. They just cut a wide swath where they went. They just ran back and preached. They didn't know how they were supposed to hold their hands, how many steps to take forward or backward. They didn't know, amen, how to dress according to the design of fashions. They didn't have name brand neckties. They just preached. They just preached the Word of God. I want you to know something that with all that we have matured and modernized, there is nothing that will take the place of the preaching of the Word of God. God had other methods available. He had other ways He could have done it. But it pleased God that by the foolishness of preaching, He would save them that believe. Nothing will work like that, Will. I said nothing will work like that, Will. Like the preaching of the Word of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. This is a generation. I don't know what's happening to this microphone. Amen. This is a generation. Amen. That that is so good at adorning the tombs of our forefathers. They speak in longing terms about the verbal beans and the Joe Dukes. Amen. But I, I'm here to tell you, they could not bear to have them in their pulpits today. Call it what you will. Brag about God splitting your pulpits down the middle. Amen. Talk about your big revivals and your all that you're doing for God. If some of those men walked in and preached on one Sunday morning, it would bring it all to a screeching halt. God's not just interested in whether you have a corn on your right big toe or whether you've got an ulcer somewhere inside of you. He's not just interested in your financial well-being, your prosperity and blessing. God is interested in is your heart right with God.
Hey man, let's all give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Let's talk to him. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, we've learned new ways of doing it. We've got better ways. We're smarter. We're more advanced. We're more cultured. We're more educated. I'll tell you what Pentecost needs to do. We need to forget about competing with the churches across town and the charismatic productions. And let's get back down on our knees and seek the God of our fathers. And he will help us in 1997 like he helped them in their day. Amen. Praise the Lord. Many years later, the people would backslide. Because of their backsliding, God would bring them judgments. Hallelujah. And following this period of chastisement and judgment, God began to give them a promise through the prophet Ezekiel that His glory would return to His temple. Oh God. And when this happens, he gives Ezekiel some instructions. What does it say, Brother Mead? Chapter 43, verse 10. Thou son of man, show the house to the house of Israel. Thou son of man, show the house to the house of Israel. That they may be ashamed of their iniquities. That they may be ashamed of their iniquities. And let them measure the pattern. Let them measure the pattern. And if they be ashamed, if they be ashamed of all they have done, all they have done, show them the form of the house. Show them the form of the house and the fashion thereof, and the measure thereof, and the goings out thereof, and the goings out thereof, the comings in thereof, and the comings in thereof, and all the forms thereof, and all the forms thereof, and all the ordinances and thereof, and all the ordinances thereof, and all the forms thereof, and all the forms thereof. And all the laws thereof. And all the what? Laws. And all the laws thereof. And write it. And writing. In their sight. In their sight. You know what God was wanting Ezekiel to do? Give the people a guided tour <laughs> of the plan of God. Woo! And bring them back to the basics yes. before they went wrong. That's it. Said, if you want to keep my glory around here, you folks better walk around here and take another good look. And remember how this thing was designed. Remember how it was built. Remember the pattern. Remember the measurements. Remember the laws. Remember the ordinances. Amen. This is not a helter-skelter operation. A change-it-as-you-go type of operation. God has a pattern. I don't care if it's out of sync with modern thought and idea. God has a pattern. He wanted them to remember what the proper form of worship should be. I still hear the Word of God echoing down through the centuries and saying, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. 
This is not a place merely for your enjoyment, for your entertainment. This is not a place merely to pat your flesh, amen, and to brag on your carnality and humanity, to indulge in our little curiosities. This isn't a place where we just come while somebody puts on a performance and entertains us. This is a place where we meet with Almighty God. Hey Amen. Some of you aren't listening to me anymore. I said this is a place where we meet with Almighty God. Walk in here with a sense of awe and reverence. Enter into His courts with praise and into His gates with thanksgiving. Be faithful unto Him and bless His name. Oh, I appreciate what Brother King preached last night. This isn't a place to elbow each other and jostle for position and just want to be noticed and seen so that your little talent can be on display. You ought to just be thankful for your seat in the house of God. You are on your way to hell. You are on your way to awesome judgment. But God interrupted it and brought you into His kingdom. Walk in here. I don't care what your bank account is. I don't care how many zeros there are amen at the end of the balance I don't care what you've got what kind of car you drove up here in or what kind of clothes you have on you need to humble yourself lift your hands and say God I want to thank you I want to praise you I want to love you Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. I want the glory of God to stay in the temple. I said I want the glory of God to stay in the temple. I want you to know God can get more done in five minutes than we can get done in many weeks of trying. If we can just enter humbly into His presence and let God have His way. I'm here to tell you every need in the house will be supplied. Every problem will be resolved. Every burden lifted. Nobody can touch you like He can. I am so sick and tired of unconsecrated worship. I am so sick and tired of showmanship. Amen. I know God is too. Come on, stay with me here a little bit. You know what the Bible says? Amen. In the book of Joshua, it tells about the uh, tribes of, of uh, Ephraim. What was it? Gad and Ephraim and half tribe of Manasseh and maybe the other way around. The two and a half tribes that wanted to stay on the other side of Jordan. And when they had finished fighting the wars with the other tribes in the land of Canaan, then they were allowed to go back to the other side of Jordan and establish their boundaries there because they were cattle-raising tribes and it was a land suitable for raising cattle. But when they went back there, amen, they were instructed to, to build an altar. To build an altar. Amen. It would not be used for actual sacrifice. It would be called an altar of witness. Amen. And this altar of witness was to be constructed according to a pattern. And it would serve not only as a witness, but as a pattern. 
they would never offer sacrifice on there. But any time they would get ready to build another altar, they would build it just like that one. They would try to stay true to the original plan that God had given them. What's wrong with old-fashioned praying, seeking after God? What's wrong with just singing from your heart and making melody unto the Lord? What's wrong with amazing grace? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. What's wrong with the old hymns, amen, that have brought tears to our eyes so many times? A lot of this modern bebop music, you can't clap to it. You can't tap your feet to it. You can't even worship to it. Why is it that we think we have to adapt and incorporate every new style that comes along the pike into our form of worship? Let's just keep doing it according to the original pattern. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. The Bible said, I'm trying to hurry here today. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 and 7, Amen, that Noah, by faith, he was warned of God. Amen, of things not seen as yet. And you know what he did? He moved with fear. And he built the ark to the saving of his house. Amen, God had mercy on him. God had mercy on him. And determined to give him a way of escape. And so he told him, Amen, it's going to rain like it's never rained. You're going to see things you've never seen before. But I'm going to give you something that will save you. It will deliver you and your house. But this is how you're going to build it. He told him what kind of wood to use. He told him the specifications. He told him to only put one door and only put one window. All of these things were specifically detailed by God. God had a design. God had a pattern. And the salvation of Noah and his house depended upon him following God's instructions to the letter. Had he decided anywhere along the way to modify or change it to suit his ideas a little bit better, I am fully convinced that God would have let him drown in that flood. His survival was directly connected to his obedience and adherence to the pattern and the design that God had given him. And I am so thankful today to know that in these last days that we are living in, while this world is reserved unto fire and judgment, and the judgments of God are going to be rained down upon this world, God has similarly given us a way of escape. He has given us a vehicle, amen, to transport us from this wicked world to glory. That vehicle is the church of the living God. Oh, come on, stay with me. I said that vehicle is the church of the living God. Again, just like the original tabernacle, just like the temple that Solomon built, just like the ark that Noah constructed, 
This church was not put together, amen, with a committee of ideas and opinions and modern trends. This church was born in the mind of one individual. When Jesus asked his disciples one day, who do men say that I am? And they said, some say you're Elijah. Some say, amen, that you're Isaiah. Some say that you're John risen from the dead. But whom do you say that I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And upon this rock I will build my church. He was not talking about Peter. Peter was just a stone, but he was talking about a rock. Amen. It can be said that it was the rock of the revelation that Peter had. And I feel that that is okay to say it that way. Amen. But specifically, Jesus was talking about none other than himself. Upon this rock, this is the stone that the builders rejected. That has become the head of the corner. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Your ideas don't matter, honey. Your thoughts don't count. Your opinions aren't even a matter of consideration. Jesus said, I will build it. And when I get through, even the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. It is not up to us to come in here and figure out how we're going to do this. All we have to do is plug into the plan, fit into the pattern. What does the Bible say in the book of Ephesians, Brother Mead? And are built upon the foundation. Are built upon the foundation of the apostles, of the apostles the prophets, and prophets. Jesus Christ Jesus himself, Christ himself being, the chief, being the chief cornerstone. Read. In whom all the building. In whom Oh, the building. Fitly framed together. Fitly framed together. Groweth unto a Groweth holy temple in the Lord. Unto an holy temple in the Lord. In Read. whom ye also. In whom you also. Are built together. Are builded together. For an habitation of for God. For habitation of through God. The through the spirits. Oh, I'm so glad for the day that God laid his hand on me and said, I want you in the kingdom. I want to put you in my plan. Amen. He doesn't need me to come in here and change the design. Just fit in to the building. What is the church going to do in 1997? I'll tell you what the church is going to do in 1997. It's going to keep on marching through the land. The church is not going down. The church is going up. The church is not in trouble. The church is going to survive. The church is going to triumph. I'm talking about the church. That was, the church in the book of Revelation is built on a rock. It's got a firm foundation. It's been through the flood and it's been through the fire. And one of these days, it's going to move up a little higher. It's the church triumphant.
and it's built by the hand of the Lord. Let's all praise Him again here today. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, you know, here recently, as most of you know, there was, there was an article written in a magazine that was very critical of Oneness Pentecost. Amen. I know there's a lot of folks laugh behind their hands because it focused on the United Pentecostal Church. But I just want you to know it was a slap in the face of all Oneness Pentecostals. Nobody's got a right to feel smug about it at all. In fact, let me just say this. There is no such thing as designating Oneness Pentecost or Trinity Pentecost. Amen. It is a misnomer. There is no such thing as Trinity Pentecost. I said there's no such thing as Trinity Pentecost. There is only Oneness Pentecost. Amen. I want it to be said. I want it to be heard. Let it ring through these walls and spill out in the surrounding community. There is just one God and His name is Jesus. He was Father in creation. He was Son in redemption. And He's the Holy Ghost in my heart today. But it's only one God. <laughs> Ephesians 4 and 5. One Lord. One faith. Come on, let's say it together. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God and Father of all. Who is above all and through all. And in you all. Somebody tell me what is next.
Hallelujah. Oh, there's just something about that name. Somebody say it again. Jesus. Jesus. What is the name that makes the devils tremble? Jesus, what is the name that causes discomfort? Amen. In the regions of the damned, it is Jesus. What is the name that causes the gates of hell to tremble? It is Jesus. What is the name that saved your wretched soul? It is Jesus. So let me say, along with so many others, we are not the other Pentecostals. We are the original Pentecostals, the only Pentecostals. We don't trace our roots back to Azusa Street. We take our roots back to the upper room. Amen. On the day of Pentecost. Amen. I've got to hurry. Got to hurry, my Lord. Time is passing so fast. Amen. I, I picked up the latest issue of that same magazine because I wanted to see if there was any response to the article. And the letters of response were to me just as interesting and just as shocking as the original article. Amen. For instance, just to read you a couple here. One individual, this was a man by the name of Craig Harrison Laurent, a pastor from Belvedere, Illinois, wrote, It's time for the United Pentecostal Church, and I might add the entire Pentecostal movement by extension, to confess its heresy, ask for forgiveness, return to orthodoxy, and engage in a program to re-educate their people in the fundamentals of Christian belief and that includes belief in the Trinity. Anything less than that is unacceptable. First of all, let me say this. Amen. That I am, I am prepared this morning. I am prepared to apologize. To ask for forgiveness. For preaching one God. As soon as Isaiah repents. I am prepared to apologize for preaching baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. As soon as Peter apologizes. for preaching on the essentiality of the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, as soon as the Apostle Paul apologizes. Because I got it from them. I'm just following the pattern. I'm just going according to the blueprints. I'm just doing what has already been set down.
If this is heresy, then I admit it. I am in heresy. And I'm not alone. I am in good company. For the Apostle Paul said in Acts 24, 14, But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all the things that are written in the law and the prophets. If I am a heretic for not agreeing, amen, with the fundamental ethics of the Roman Catholic Church, then I am a heretic. But that's not all I am. I am a one God apostolic, Jesus' name baptized, Holy Ghost infilled child of God. Pastor Craig Harrison Laurent, I must say to you, sir, that for us to re-educate our people in the dogma of the Trinity, we must shred this Bible and do away with it. Because from Genesis to Revelation, there is only one God. Only one. You can be seated. Amen. Now the letter said this. Oneness people tell those of us who believe in the Trinity that we are not saved. They tell us that we are not saved because we haven't been baptized their way. They are dividing the body of Christ. To me, they are a cult. They are replacing Christ with water. So says Woodrow Steedman, pastor, Spartanburg, South Carolina. Another case of the blind leading the blind. If I am dividing the body of Christ, amen, for emphasizing water, then pray tell what was Jesus doing when he stepped down off the banks of Jordan, right down into the water, and said to John, baptize me, John. Not because he was unclean, not because he needed his sins washed away, but to establish a pattern. It was he who later said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. If we're replacing Christ with water, then what does it mean when Jesus said, Go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost? First of all, the commandment to baptize is very clear. Amen. Oh, this might be old stuff to some of you. Brother Morgan said the other night, amen, that visiting that charismatic church made him mad, made him feel like he'd have to preach Acts 2.38 for another six months. I said, good. We need to preach Acts 
We need to preach one God like we've never preached it. Our people need to be absolutely clear. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. I'm preaching to a congregation that knows what that means. There is no name found in that scripture. Amen. There are only titles that indicate a name. Somebody asked me the other day, Amen, if he meant in the name of Jesus, why didn't he just say it? And I said, because he wanted you to understand just how full, just how great, how awesome that name was. It is not merely a name. It is the name of the Father. It is the name of the Son. And it is the name of the Holy Ghost. Only one name qualifies. And that is the name of Jesus. We are not replacing Christ with water. We're putting him in the water. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Can you stay with me a few more minutes? Can you please? There are certain elements and ingredients that are essential to being a part of this church that Jesus built and established the pattern thereof. Amen. Later on, he was speaking to his disciples in Luke chapter 24. This was after his ascension. And read what it says, Brother Mead. Verse 44, Luke 24. All right. Luke 24, 44. And certain of them which were with us mm -hmm. went to the sepulcher. Wait a minute. Luke 24, 44. And he said unto them, These are the words, these are the words which I spake unto you. Which I spake unto while you. While I was yet with you. While I was yet with you. That all things must be fulfilled. All things must be fulfilled. Which were written in the law of Moses, mm -hmm. in the prophets, prophets, in the Psalms concerning in me. The Psalms concerning me. There's a pattern all through there. Read. Then opened he their understanding. Then, because they hadn't been able to see it yet. He opened their understanding. That they might understand. That they might be able to interpret the, the blueprint and the pattern. Might understand the scripture and read, read on. And said unto them, said them, Thus it is written. Thus it is written. Thus it behooved Christ thus to it suffer. Behoved Christ to suffer. And to rise from the dead, the third, from day. The dead the third day. And that repentance. And that repentance and remission of sin. And remission of sin should be preached. Should be preached in his name. In his name. In his name. Oh, I probably don't have to say this here today, but it's high time we settle this question once and for all. We're trying to find a loophole for your great aunt and your cousin who is such a fine and decent person. We're not trying to be unkind and cruel. We've just got to build it according to the pattern. You can't have repentance and remission unless it is in His name. Amen. Woo, hallelujah. And that's not all. That was, that was another vital ingredient. He told His disciples one day, He said, Go tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. And another time later, he 
he breathed on them yeah. and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. What was he doing? He was establishing a pattern. And then he said, And you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall do what? You shall be carbon copies. You shall be replicas of myself. You shall be witnesses unto me. When they see you, they're going to see me. When they hear you talk, they're going to hear me talk. When they see your life, they're going to see my life. Is that hard to accept? Hallelujah. He said, don't do anything till you get this. Don't try to engage in any ministry. Don't do your own thing. Just go tarry till you get it. And bless your heart. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all together in one place, in one accord. And there came a sound from heaven. From heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting there appeared unto them cloven tongues as a fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the holy ghost and spake with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance <laughs> you took that so calm you took that so calm I said they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. and spake with Holy tongues Holy as the Spirit Holy gave them utterance. They spilled out of the upper room. Woo! Woo! Talking in tongues, worshiping, magnifying God. What's going on? The establishing of a pattern. That's why we still do it. That's why we still shout. Why we still speak in tongues. Why we still get beside ourselves. We're not weird. We're not odd. We're not imbeciles. We're just following the pattern. A few days later, when the apostles would speak, they would look at them and marvel because they were unlearned and ignorant men. And they would take knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They saw similarities in them with the pattern. Oh God, let this world see Jesus Christ in us. Let this world see Jesus Christ in us. Amen. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. You can be seated. I think I'm almost done. I'm going to try to be, not try not to infringe any time, brother. I think I had to 11:30. If I'm wrong, I'm really wrong. Amen. Let me tell you something. When we receive the Spirit of God, we didn't just get a patch and a new module plugged in. We were born again of water and of the Spirit. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Let me, let me throw this at you. The Bible says, amen, that Jesus was a lamb slain 
from before the foundation of the world. Before God ever made Adam of the dust of the ground, he already had a prototype in mind. And we were made in his likeness and in his image. When sin entered into the picture, amen, then it was ruined. It was ruined and marred and it no longer resembled the original as God had intended. But when we were born again of water and of the Spirit, it is a rebirth back to a condition and a position that God originally intended for us to be like the original. That's why it is impossible, it is foolish, it is preposterous to think that you can be a part of the church of the living God and not believe, accept, embrace separation from the world and holiness. Be ye holy, the Bible says, as I am holy. Well, you got a little bit quiet on that. Amen. I'm not about to enter into a debate with the charismatic movement on whether we are legalistic and whether we are exclusionary and keeping people out of the house of God. If you have the spirit of Almighty God in you, it will change the way you dress. It'll change the way you live. It'll change the way you walk. It'll change the way you talk. You can't have the Holy Ghost and keep painting yourself up, putting jewelry on, wearing immodest attire, going around half naked. You can't go on sucking cigarettes, drinking beer, watching television, indulging in the sensual pleasures of this world. Something inside of you will get a hold of you. It will dictate, it will control, it will manipulate you. I don't know how you feel, but I've got the Holy Ghost down in my soul, just like the Bible said. got to be done. Read the last scripture, Brother Need. I'm really not through, but I have to quit. Read. This is a faithful saying. This is the Apostle Paul writing now. This is a faithful saying. And worthy of all acceptation. Worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to mm -hmm. save sinners. Save sinners. Of whom I am chief. Of whom I am chief. How be it. How be it. For this cause I obtain mercy. I'm going to tell you why I obtain mercy. Read. That in me first. In me first. Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering. He might show forth all longsuffering. For a pattern. For a pattern. To them. To them. Which should hereafter. Which should hereafter. Believe on him to life everlasting. Why is he saying that? He was a persecutor of the church. And by his own admission, he was a blasphemer. If anybody deserved to go to hell, Paul did. He personally saw to it that men and women and children were imprisoned, and he consented unto their death. It was at his feet. The cloaks of those that stoned righteous Stephen, amen, were laid. 
He stood there consenting. And the Bible in another place says, And Saul breathing out threatenings. He was a wicked man. And yet God had mercy on him. And he had mercy on him for a pattern. A pattern that says, You can be the chief of sinners, as Paul confessed, and still be redeemed by the blood of Jesus, filled with the Holy Ghost, not only placed in the church, but in the apostles' case, in Paul's case, made an apostle to the Gentiles. Amen. I have more faith today than I've ever had in the mercy of God. There are people that I would have said they don't stand a chance. And I've seen God reach out and change their life. There are people that I would have discriminated against and God said, let me show you what I can do. And He has had mercy on them. He established a pattern a long time ago. I don't care who you are and what condition you are in or your relatives are in. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't keep quit praying. Don't quit believing. Last year, I'll say this, and I really am done. Last year, the early part of the year, my wife's brother came to live with us. He's 45 years old. He's been a lifetime diabetic since he was seven years old. And then he was diagnosed with diabetes when he turned seven. And ever since then, he's been fighting that disease. It has gradually claimed his body at about 31, 32 years old. Kidneys had failed. A brother donated a kidney. It lasted for 11 years and failed. And he has been on continual dialysis ever since. And he was out of options. His marriage had failed. Amen. That he had nothing left, no place else to stay. And so we opened our home up to him. He has been a backslider for 30 years. 30 years. He came into our home with his hair long down past his shoulders, a mustache. I cringed every time I looked at him. I was uncomfortable with that in my home, especially with my sons there. But I just, I didn't put any pressure on him. We didn't require him to go to church with us, though I wanted to make that a requirement and a contingency. Amen. Still, we didn't. We just stood back and started praying and asking God to begin dealing with him. It was a long time, but early this year, God began to deal with his heart. And he started asking questions about the Holy Ghost, asking about the things of God. He had been out of church since he was 15 years old. And I went to the hospital one day when he was in there, and, and he started asking me questions. And I sat down and started talking to him about the infilling of the Holy Ghost, what it will do for you. And all he could say was, wow, wow. He said, I just want to know where the start button is. I want it. A couple weeks later, we were having church one Sunday night, and service was already in progress, and I saw him come through the back doors with my mother-in-law, and he sat back there, and I had a little message that I felt God had given me for him, and I'd kept it in my Bible for this moment, and I pulled it out, and I began to preach to him, amen, and when I got through and made the altar call, here he came, body emaciated, wasted, almost no vision whatsoever, came stumbling down the aisle and to the front of the church and knelt down there and for an hour he wept and prayed and repented and God filled him with the Holy Ghost
Hey, man, as soon as he could, he got that mustache cut off and he got that hair cut. Hallelujah. And he's had me cut it since then. And he told us the other day, even though now his mind is just about gone, the disease has advanced. He's been in the hospital for almost three months now. And just this past week, just before coming here, we had to put him in a nursing home. It's a pitiful, pathetic situation. He suffered a couple of minor strokes about a month and a half ago. One took his vision completely, and another one took part of his comprehension. And he's confused and disoriented a lot now. And it's pitiful. Amen. But the beauty of all this is that one day, even after he'd had the strokes, I was at the hospital visiting him, and I was praying for him, and he began to say, Jesus, I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And he lifted his arms and began to wave them back and forth and wave them, and then he wanted to stand up, and we stood there and held him while he waved his hands. God, I want to be clean. I want to be whole. I want to be right. Hallelujah. And so then I went out and visited with some people that were there to see him standing in the hallway and they laid him back in bed and he just kept on praying under his breath and then he indicated he wanted to pray again so I went back in there I said you want to pray again Jim he said yes I want to pray again but this time I want to pray through I said okay let's pray through I laid hands on him started praying and in no time he was speaking in tongues again I don't understand the mercy of God, but I'm here to tell you, God set a pattern a long time ago. It doesn't matter to what depths you have sunk. There is hope for you if you will just cry out to God. Keep on praying for those sons, for those daughters, for those unsaved companions, for those wives, those husbands, those relatives, those friends. God is a merciful God and He will abundantly pardon. Let's all stand, lift our hands and worship the Lord today. Brother Gross, my apologies to you. Let's worship the Lord. Come on, let's talk to God. Let's talk to God. Let's talk to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank God for a pattern. It works. Don't change it. Don't tamper with it. It'll get the job done. Come on, church. Worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's give him a wave offering today. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. 